you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book, the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I have said, my name shall be there. Well, as we come together this morning, uh, let us pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the honor, the blessing, and privilege it is to have your word before us. And we pray that in these next few minutes uh, that you would be at work by your spirit to change us, comfort us, challenge us, to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, your Son. Uh, from what we consider today, uh, would we know the reality and the truth of what it truly means that in your presence is fullness of joy. Uh, refresh us in that wonderful truth again this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who of you in your life has, has felt the desire for better leadership? I wonder if of recent times you felt a desire for better leadership. You see, put aside what's going on in the world at the moment, our culture is obsessed with good leadership. Uh, we can see it. You can pay good money for leadership coaching, uh, personal counseling. Uh, you can subscribe to podcasts that will lead you in mindfulness, relaxation, and sleep. Uh, you can even pay good money for uh, physical, personal leadership 
in personal training. What we see around us today is that from the physical to the emotional, even to the vocational, our world cries out for and is willing to pay good money for good leadership. And it's all in the hope that they would get some direction, some expertise to be able to lead a good, productive, efficient and effective life. I think it's fair to say that we all want direction givers to help us along and direct us in this crazy thing we call life. Well, if you too have this desire for better leadership, uh, today's Bible story is all about good leadership. And as much as it is history back then, it is a story for us today. For it reveals to us the essential action that all people are invited to so that they would find this right way, so that they would find good leadership, they would find a renewed way, and that it is a way of rest and release. It is a way that is the cry of all of our hearts every time we are trying to hear and heed advice from the leaders of our culture. So what's the story we've got today? Well, we've seen we've got young King Josiah. He's a young king who is energized and who's channeling his energy to oppose whatever chaos could infiltrate his life and the life lives of the people he leads. For context's sake, uh, we, can, we know that we've just stepped off from the, the previous king, uh, King Manasseh. Uh, he was another king that earned the narrator's note of 2 Kings 21.2. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So, so far in this story, we've seen again and again and again and again that human leadership is continually continually failing the people that they are trying to lead, that, that when things are put into the hands of, of man, things do not go well when they do not follow the path of God. So now we enter in King Josiah. He starts his reign at simply eight years old. But as perhaps nervous it might make people to feel, to know that he's going in at such such youth, the opening verses of his life, the narrator says, with a breath of fresh air to anyone that's been reading through 1 and 2 Kings, verses 1 and 2, it says, He, Josiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. We do a quick recap of uh, Josiah's reign and rule. Uh, we see early on in his, in, his, uh, in his vocation, one of the first things he does is to restore the temple of God. Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. He's starting to restore uh, the place of worship for God's people. Uh, we don't know the exact motivations of what led him down there. Maybe he's just a big fan of grand designs and he likes a good renovation. But what if, for whatever the reason, he pays for this rebuild to be performed. And in the midst of it, he makes a discovery. He discovers the book of the law. Uh, he reads it. Uh, and 2 Kings 22 says that he hears the words of God, that he hears these words of Scripture. And as he hears, it isn't just words that go in one ear and out the other, but they are words that cut him to the heart, that they go into his heart and into his mind, and they penetrate even down into the depths of his soul. For he hears it. He's humbled by God's word. It says that his heart was tender. He heard the word 
he humbled himself. He even wept. Well, why is that? Why would he have such a response to reading God's word? Well, uh, for what we we can at least say that Josiah has been reading the book of Deuteronomy that we find in the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, which describes the life that that the people of God should be leading, and also describes the responsibility that the king has in leading them in that life, in being a good leader to God's people. And Josiah looks at his own leadership. He looks at the leadership of his fathers that have gone before him and he goes this what I read here does not equal that of what I see back there what I see before me in the kingdom today and according to God's word judgment is coming punishment is on the horizon this is a warning to me and I need to respond So we see that in the life of Josiah, in his distress after reading God's word, in his lament and in his fear, he goes and seeks out the counsel of a prophetess, Holder. Now in seeking her counsel, she says back to Josiah, look, yep, Joey, I've got two things for you. First one, yeah, you're right. God will bring disaster because of the disobedience and evil of the previous kings and because of the people of the land. Sorry, mate. But then the second word that this prophetess has for Josiah is one of, it is good news. She says to Josiah, because you have humbled himself, because you actually are turning back to the Lord and because you actually are showing remorse and you are showing repentance and you are seeking renewal, God has God says that he will grant you grace and peace. It's a wonderful little part that we see in this reading. It's very similar to what we see in the life of Ahab, only what we considered a few weeks ago. Josiah, he has a realization of his wrong and the wrong way of his culture. He repents and he seeks a new way and a new culture, one that seeks to live in the fear of the Lord and in the instruction of God and one that seeks to honor him because he is good and his way is right. And from that, God grants Josiah peace and the promise of delayed punishment. This is wonderful good news for Josiah. This is great news. But that's not all that happens in Josiah's good leadership, is it? What happens next? Chapter 23, we see that uh, what does King Josiah do now that he is seen as right in the eyes of God, now that God has promised him peace? Does Josiah just say, yes, that's fine, let it go? No, Joey gets to work. And the first thing that he does is he gets everyone to come to church. Joey, you see there in the reading, Joey, Josiah calls everyone together and he now reads before them the words of this book. And he lets the words cut them to the heart. He lets those words lead them to a posture of thinking, what are we to do? God's judgment is at hand. And Josiah leads his people in making a covenant promise with the Lord. A new promise, a a commitment that we are going to walk and keep the ways of God. We are turning from the ways that we once have led and we are now going this way in the ways that God says is good and right and will bring flourishing and prosperity to the land. And what is the response of the people? Everyone is in. Let's do this, they say. We have heard what kind of king this is and who God is. We have heard and we are now willing to go this way. Lead on, King Josiah. And that is what he does. 
after his personal covenant commitment to follow after God and after the people's commitment, Joey gets to work and he tears down and cleans out all that is not of God in the land that he rules. He tears it down. He pulls it out. He burns it. He gets rid of all the filth, all that is unclean, anything that can have any hint of distraction for the people that is going to take them away from the right way of life. Joey leads with confidence and conviction in the good, righteous, perfect way. But that's not all he does, is it? He doesn't just take things out, but he replaces that idol, false worship with true and proper worship, doesn't he? Josiah reinstates the Passover. In the 18th year of his reign at the age of 36, Josiah realized that this special commemorative remembrance meal had not been kept since even the times of the judgment judges. And Josiah, he doesn't just call people to participate and to make a way for this Passover meal, but he personally contributes to the people and he leads the people to be able to have this meal. He contributes over 40,000 animals, sheep, goats, bulls. He covers everyone so they can participate in this meal, the Passover meal. If you're not familiar with Passover, it's the meal of remembrance. It's the meal that causes God's people to cast their mind back, cast their mind back to God's liberation and salvation out of tyranny and certain death in the times of when they were in the land of Egypt under the under the terrible leading of Pharaoh after he had put them into slavery. And the Passover was the meal where God had the people kill a lamb, put it to death, And the blood of the lamb would spare the people from the judgment of God as that blood covered them, as that blood made sure that they, God would see that there was already a death had taken place in those houses. They were saved by the blood of the lamb. And then it was God showing them that he loved them at, in their worst state. And it's from his love that they then live out what it means to be God's people. So Joey, He's made a covenant commitment. He's promised. He's teared down and put out and thrown away all that is bad and unclean and that is not of God. He reinstates true and proper worship, but he's not done yet. He's still getting rid of everything, the mediums, the necromancers. And as you look at Josiah's reform, it seems that he's systematically going through the book of Deuteronomy, keeping in step with the historic face of God's people. It's almost as if now Josiah has the great words of the Shema ringing over and over in his heart and resonating in his mind as he seeks to go after God's way. Do you know those words? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Josiah's reform is based on the historic faith of his of his people going back even as far as the Exodus, going back to the great moments of salvation and the great revelation of the power and the goodness and the majesty and the perfection of God. But then Josiah's reign ends, doesn't it? He gets killed in battle. 
and Josiah is taken home before he has to, can do anything else. But how significant was Josiah's leadership? How significant was his leadership for the people of the day? Well, the narrator of this story in 23 verse 25, he gives us a pretty good summary. It says of Josiah, before him there was no king like him. No king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. King Josiah. Awesome king. Better than all others. I wonder if you would be desiring leadership like King Josiah. I wonder if King's King Josiah's leadership is appealing to you. To have a man of authority and power and love for his people, to show them and direct them and to lead them and to model to them a right and good way of living that is going to honour God, your maker. Well, if King Josiah's leadership is appealing to you and that's something that you feel that you need in your life, there's good news today. Because King Josiah, he, he foreshadows a true and greater king. A king that has died, yes, but has risen again to new life. A king who has done more than just respond to what it is that he should do after seeing the death of many people before him. But he is the king who has perfectly lived and is now perfectly alive. One who has all authority on heaven and earth, who is willing to lead you even today. And that king is the king we celebrate Christmas, King Jesus. We see there's many parallels between Josiah and Jesus. As Josiah forecasts and foreshadows the kingship of King Jesus. For we see in Josiah, we see that, yes, he reads the word of God. He laments his sin and he personally repents. But in Jesus, Jesus is the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, Jesus, he was not lamenting and repenting of his own sin. He laments his people's sin. And so he comes down to rescue them from that. We see Josiah, look, he, he leads in revealing the words of God. We saw that. He calls the people to church, doesn't he? He leads in revealing the words from God. Now, Jesus, he leads in revealing himself as the word of God, in adding flesh to the word of God, in explaining the word of God, in giving greater depth and meaning and example to the word of God, to show us what it means to live out the word of God. This is Jesus, the true, better, and greater king and leader that we need. And look at King Josiah. Look, he shows the way forward. He gives a call to repentance and renewal. Jesus also, he shows the way forward. He calls us even today to repentance and to renewal. Josiah, he leads the people to follow and this meant a covenant, didn't it? It meant a proclamation and a promise of, yes, we will follow you, God. We will walk in step with you. We will cast off what has been not of us, and we will look for what is of you. And today we see the same thing of, I will, to follow Jesus. That will is what you might call the new covenant of baptism, 
the new journey starting with being washed of our sin, being being joined to Christ in his death and, to, and resurrection and saying to God and to our church family, yes, we will follow after God. That at the beginning of the casting out and the putting on is another covenant promise. We will, I will in the waters of baptism. But the comparison continues. Josiah, he leads the charge in ongoing repentance and reform, doesn't he? He tears down the idol, he, idols. He leads the charge in repentance and reform, takes out and puts in. But it's so much better in Jesus. He leads the charge. He leads us in ongoing repentance and reform, doesn't he? Putting off the deeds of the flesh and putting on that, is of, that, is, that which is of Christ Jesus, the one in whom we are joined to in his death and resurrection and good confession. And lastly, Josiah, he reinstitutes the way to remember the goodness of God, doesn't he, with Passover. With all the putting off, he gets them to put on right worship. He gets them to remember with the Passover meal. And Jesus does this also. He gives Passover 2.0 in the Lord's Supper, where Jesus himself is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, where Jesus himself, they share not... They share a meal of, of, of bread and of wine to remember the broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood, the new covenant in his blood. Jesus gives the physical, tangible, flavorful reminders of what it means to be following after God and, and who he is and what he's done. So we see from this text, Jesus is the better Josiah, that if you're looking for good leadership, that if you're wanting to be able to find the right way, the most effective way, the most perfect, good and better way, we need to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who goes before us, the one who is behind us, the one who is leading us not only into the way of being able to live this life well, but being able to step into eternal life. Jesus is the better Josiah. I wonder if you would, if you're willing to enter into a walk and relationship with Jesus, into this new and better way. If that's you, we have to ask though, what is the essential ingredient? What is the what is what is a what is this next step? To, to, for us to enter into a walk with Jesus. Well, as we look at what it was for Josiah, it's a big pointer for what it is for us. And that's not only something that we do once and then forget about and never do again, it's something that we do each and every day. It's what Josiah did, it's what he led the people in, it's what he wanted them to do, and it's what, Josiah, it's what Jesus taught, it's what Jesus led, and it's what he calls us to do to do. And that essential thing that is modeled to us, that is taught to us, and that is encouraged to us is repentance. Repentance. I wonder what you think about the concept of repentance. I feel like in today's day and age, the concept of repentance is it's lost on many of us, isn't it? Um, I think that when I, when I talk to people, even in my own reflection, sometimes this, this idea of what it means to repent is a difficult concept that often is 
associated with drudgery. It's associated with a with a with a weighing down or this dutiful act that we just have to do because you know we want to be a follower of Jesus. It's a yep, got to do that when you're a Christian. But church, we got to remember, we got to we got to realize that that is not what repentance is. That if that's what you think about repentance, that do not buy into that lie from the enemy. That is deception from the devil. So I want to spend the remainder of our time just thinking through and, and, and helping us think afresh about what repentance truly is and how repentance really should feel. And my goal is this, that when you hear the call from me or from one of the other pastors here at the church or when you are led to this in Scripture or when the Holy Spirit just gives you that gentle nudge or if maybe there's a loving friend who asks the question, what does it look like to repent in this? I want us to be a people that truly hear and truly know that the act of repentance, it's not the adding on of a burden, not an extra work for the week, but repentance is actually a refreshment for your soul. That repentance is a a renewal and a recalibration of your mind which will bring release. So I want us to lean in to what we see Josiah leading his people in in this story and and what it is that Jesus calls us to as his people. I want us to lean into truly no repentance so that we may make it a lifestyle of experience and so we know that experience is one. When we do it right, we'll know that it is done in faith from love, that it will lighten us and that it will be what leads us into that rest that Jesus promised us. So, buckle up, let's think about repentance, let's be ready to be refreshed. Two short definitions for you on repentance. First one, Spurgeon, repentance is the discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is in fact a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man or woman love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. Or a shorter definition, repentance by Ravenhill. Repentance is a change of mind about God, about sin, and about hell. Repentance, it, it is necessary. It is necessary to be able to walk, to walk with Jesus. Uh, we see that a journey with Jesus, it starts with repentance. We read this in Acts 2, 37 to 38. Uh, Peter has just preached his first sermon after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the people that hear Peter's sermon, they are cut to the heart. They, have been remi- they were reminded, just as Josiah was, that the way that they were living was wrong. The coming upon them was the judgment of God. And they say, what do we do? What do we do? And Peter says, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance, it is necessary. Repentance, it's it's our action within a divine interaction to have our sins blotted out and our lives refreshed. We read in Acts 3, we see 
from verse 18, what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Christ has died. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Why? That your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance. It's necessary. It's necessary to see the kingdom of God. Just as Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We hear that last one from Jesus, turn, turn around, turn back. That's another way of describing repentance. Turn. Turn back to God. Turn from what was dark to him who is light. Turn. Turn from what is false to Jesus, who is called truth. Turn. Turn from what is wrong and turn to Jesus, who is righteousness and right. Turn. Turn from what is burdening you to Jesus, who will refresh you. Turn. Turn from a life of deception and turn to Jesus, who gives freely, who gives restoration. Turn. Turn from what leads to death and to Jesus who gives eternal life. Repentance. You call it turning. You turn it turning around, going back. Perhaps the other way of thinking about repentance is this, this is maybe one of my favorite ways. This is what I think about when I think of repentance. What shapes much of my own life is just this simple, simple cry of wake up, wake up, wake up. So we read in Ephesians, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. And rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, wake up, wake up. Open your eyes, get out of bed. The house is on fire, and your bedroom is in its path. Wake up, stand up, get to safety. Wake up. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Wake up, turn, repent. We've got to see that repentance, hopefully we see from just even this, these simple definitions, repentance is not a solo, passive, frail, religious thought. Repentance is an active, intentional, restorative pursuit in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what repentance is. So we think about that, it's probably important to also think about what repentance isn't. What repentance isn't. Repentance isn't nodding in affirmation, but taking no action. Yeah? Repentance isn't feeling bad about something on Sunday and changing nothing on Monday. It's been said before, resonance is not obedience. Resonance is not obedience. We have to own up to, 
we have to acknowledge and we have to be honest of how we've screwed things up and how we've made bad choices. But the answer isn't to try harder, but to try different. The answer isn't to add things to work to the way that we are already going. The answer is a complete change in direction, turning around, waking up, turning around, repenting and going the way that Jesus is going, committing our lives to him, not committing to do more in our own lives. But as I've been saying, despite how this might sound, sounded as if repentance is a hard and an arduous process. Let's think about how repentance should feel. How should repentance feel? Well, I think, and perhaps this is my physio background talking, but I think repentance repentance should feel like, like a massage. Like, like good pain. Yeah, like good pain. Pain that, that we practice, it actually gets, in some ways, can get easier. Pain that, as it is endured in the, in the bigger things and in the, and in the harder things, it, it actually leads to an increasing measure of power in your life and it gives you access into deeper areas of which you need that work done. So this repentance is painful. It's acknowledging ways that you've stuffed up and that you've been going in the wrong direction, but it is sweet pain. Because while it demands the brokenness of your heart, it's always with a view to healing and restoration and a renewed vision of the beauty of Christ and his forgiving grace. It's so that as you, can, as you stop conforming to the way of this world to go the way of Christ, you know that as you go his way, there is peace, that there is joy that there is purpose, that there is eternal life. So how should repentance feel? How should it play out in our hearts and in our minds? We've got to see it's a, it's a process. It's, it's a process of realization to renewal, realization to renewal, one that lightens us. You've got realization at the start. You've gone, oh no, I've stuffed up, just as Josiah felt. Oh, oh boy, it, it's bad. You've got recognition. From realization to recognition, you go, recognition, This the way I've been going, this has offended God. Against God and God only have I sinned. This is bad. I, 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 have, I have done, I've done wrong. And that wrong, from that recognition of the wrong we've done, we feel remorse. And that remorse, it's not just a remorse of the punishment that has come to us. You know, people, people want to, turn to Jesus just so they can get out of hell, but they don't actually love Jesus. It's, it's remorse more than the punishment that's going to be coming to you, but it's a sadness for the way that you have offended God. God, a father, God who loves you. It's sadness for offending one who loves you. So it's realization, it's recognition, it's remorse against our offense against God. But then it's also, here's the transition. Here's when we remember the good pain. It's remembering, isn't it? Remorse. And then the Spirit's leading in remembering. Remembering what? God's faithfulness. Remembering his love. Remembering his character as shown to us all throughout the Bible. Remembering who God is. That he is slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. Having mercy and compassion upon thousands. It's remembering that he has said to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
It's remembering that God who, who promises us, he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's remembering that God doesn't stand there with his arms folded with a scowl on his face, but he's, he's there bent down on one knee, arms wide open, just wa- wa- wanting to and willing to embrace us as we return back to him and his love. So repentance, it's internally, it's a realization. It's recognition of our, of our offense. It's remorse of that, but re- it's remembering God's faithfulness. And then it's that release. And this is the refreshing moment of repentance. It's that release. It's the release of all that guilty tension. It's a release of all that fear of judgment. It's knowing that perfect love, the perfect love of God, casts out fear. And that release, it leads to that refreshment and that renewal. That we can know that we can walk again in the love of God in a way that is good, right, and true. So repentance towards Jesus, it shouldn't feel like this drudgery. It should feel like this wonderful release. See, a story that I think about, that I think just perfectly sums that up, is uh, Esther catches up with a friend of hers, and she was telling Esther about how she'd stuffed up. Uh, She'd said something to one of her good friends, and she was feeling really bad. She'd said something that she knew that would have that had offended her and um, and and she 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 felt like she'd stuffed up she she was really worried she was worried that this long-term great friendship was now being ruined by just a silly thing that she'd said she'd worried that it was now just going to be awkward forever and that they wouldn't be able to meet up again and that she'd ruin the friendship she was, she was as a friend she's feeling anxious she's she's feeling she's feeling sad she's 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 feeling this remorse But that's not where she, that's, she didn't leave it there, did she? She didn't just walk away and commit to living a life of, of ghosting this person out of her own anxiety and her own heart and her own, you know, trying to forget about the bad that she did. She turned around. She went back to her friend. And she repented. She, and she asked for forgiveness. She said, look, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I acknowledged that what I said was wrong. And I and I I don't want to do it again. And I I'll ask that you would forgive me. Do you know what her friend said? Her friend said, "I forgive you." It's, just, it's I forgive you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But like you don't have to be worried. Like I love you. We've been friends for so long. I love you. And like that's fine. Like we all stuff up. It's it's no worries. Like let's let's go. Like let's 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 keep going. How do you think? Esther's friend felt upon hearing those words, hey, I forgive you. It's fine. Let's keep going. Do you think that those words that she heard after her moment of realisation and remorse and returning, do you think that after hearing those words that she felt weighed down? No. She knew that release and that refreshment, and that renewal that comes from true, genuine repentance. That's how it should feel for us when we go back to God. That's how it should feel for us when we go back to God, that we know and we hold firmly to his promises, that we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
that's the beauty. That's the refreshing. That's the 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 grandeur of repentance. It's beautiful. See, when I think about repentance as well, it, it actually it actually shapes the way that I try to be a, a parent. It shapes the way that I try to father my our three little girls. See, one of the long-term goals that I have as a dad is I want to try to play the long game and I want them I want them to know from from me that that when they stuff up, I, I want their first response to be, I've got to go to dad. I want their first response to be that when they stuff up in life, whether they're eight-year-olds, eight, eight years old, 18-year-old, or even 80 years old, if I'm still alive, I want them to go, oh, I'm going to go talk to dad. And to play that long game, I'm doing everything that I can to show them how much I love them to show them how much I care for them, to show them how much that whenever they do stuff up and the little things now, I'm going to be there to say, look, it's okay, I forgive you. Thank you for saying sorry. Let's keep going. I'm here to journey with you. I want to play the long game so that no matter how bad they stuff up, that they don't cower in fear and they don't go, oh, gee, I better not tell dad, but instead they say, oh, I've got to go to dad. Repentance. Biblical, true, Christ-centered repentance is what has shaped that in me. Because that is how I think God feels towards all of us. That if you are a child of the living God, when we stuff up, God wants us to know. And God has made it abundantly clear throughout the pages of Scripture, throughout generations, even in what we see in Josiah today, that God, when we stuff up, if we go back to him, if our first response, if our response is to be, oh, gee, I've got to talk to dad, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. That he'll be there, just like with the prodigal son, arms open wide, running towards him to say, welcome home. I love you. Let's start again. Let's start afresh. Know this refreshment. Know this renewal. Let's just, we'll learn from this and let's keep going. Let's keep going. There's the refreshment of repentance. There's the renewal of repentance. That is the lightening and the release that repentance brings. Knowing that repentance restores and strengthens our relationships. So where to from here? Where to from here? Well, church, I wonder how many of you feel that perhaps today is another day of repentance. I know for me it is. I know that for me, repentance is ongoing. Every day I wake up and I say, look, Jesus, I need to turn to you. I need to wake up to my own way of life and I need to go your way. I'm not going to go my way. I'm going to die to self and I'm going to go your way. I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to be your disciple. I'm going to be your apprentice. Lead me. Walk with me. I've seen the way that Josiah models that, and I know that you can do it so much better. As Martin Luther once said, the Christian life is a day one of daily repentance. 
So who needs repentance here today? If you know that, if you feel that, if you want to be led into that refreshment and that release and that renewal that repentance is, I'm going to lead us now in a short prayer. And I'd love for you to close your eyes with me and to make this prayer your own. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offences, which we have committed by thought, word and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. We are deeply sorry for our transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. Lord, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may evermore serve and please you in newness of life. To the honour and glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, you who are great in mercy, you have promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and who, tr and who with true faith turn to you. Father, we ask and pray that you would pardon and deliver us from our sins. Please confirm and strengthen us in all goodness and by the power, conviction, resolve, comfort and help of your Holy Spirit, please guard us, sanctify us and bring us to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.